Now, if you'll turn to the sermon outline, beginning on page 10, running over to page 12, we will begin with the scripture reading from Ephesians 4. This week, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And we've already sung, great is thy faithfulness. And we see the Lord's faithfulness in the preservation of his church and in the presentation of the gospel in the Lord's Supper. But we look now to a few scattered verses in chapter 4 of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. This is God's word. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of man in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is, Christ. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and you were taught of him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbors, for we are all members of one family, of one, of one body. And then finally, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to the truth and according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. So the fruit of the Spirit this morning, faithfulness. If I asked you what the Bible teaches on that subject, I'm sure you would be quick to answer some of the things like I have here. What is it in the outline? It is honesty. It is integrity. It is speaking truthfully. It is saying what you mean and meaning what you say. It's the truth. And as he says, we are to uh, be guided by that truth. Faithfulness is also a promise that is kept over time. And so we sing, Great is thy faithfulness, for God has shown himself to keep his promises over time. In human relationships, when a young couple comes together to be married, they don't know what the future holds, but they make a promise to be faithful to one another and to create a future together in which they will be held together by the truth of the gospel and of God's word. And, as we'll look this morning, as we look at the lexical range of what faithfulness means in the scriptures, it means bringing together truth and love in its relationships and life. It's not only about what God has done in the past and what promises we may have kept, It's also about this combination of truth and love. Paul says, you may have all wisdom, and you may be speaking with the tongue of men and of angels. That is, you may be guided and filled with the truth. But if you don't have love, you're less than what you should be. And we know familiarly over and over again in 1 Corinthians 13, truth and love are brought together together. 
married, as it were. But the problem for us is that they are often separated. They don't often go together. They don't often come in unity. Sometimes we stand for the truth and we're valiant for the truth and we don't care what the other person thinks. Or other times we are so desirous of getting along and of making things work that the truth doesn't enter into it. And the hard things that need to be said are left unsaid. Part of our sin nature is to divide these two to be valiant for truth or strong in love, but not on the other side. But biblical faithfulness, as we shall see, demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ and by God himself, brings those two together. So this morning, as we think of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, I don't want you to think just about the past and about God's faithfulness to you, although that's a marvelous truth. I want us to think together about what biblical present life faithfulness looks like as we try to bring together truth and love. Now in Genesis 1, we have a beautiful description of God's creation, and we have brought together two very different things, heaven and earth, land and sea, animals and plants, male and female, and truth and love have certain amount of oppositional qualities, it could at least potentially, but they, when they are brought together, it is beautiful. First of all, how do I practice truth? This, of course, is rare enough, and we might just stop here. We might just say faithfulness is simply telling the truth, and it certainly is that. It's integrity. It's refusing to deceive. Instead of being uh, tossed about by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of men, verse 14, in their deceitful scheming, which is ordinary and commonplace, instead we should speak the truth in love, and then we will all, in all things, grow up into him. So at the very basis level, truth is integrity. It is avoiding untruthful words by deliberately trying to hide reality by saying, as the serpent did, if you eat of that fruit, you will not surely die. The first lie delivered to man came from Satan, and he has been lying ever since. Jesus calls him the father of lies, and lies permeate our world. Promises we say, are made to be broken. But God has them that they might be kept. Untruthful words, deliberately trying to hide reality. We call it sometimes white lies or polite lies, euphemisms, exaggerations, word inflation, hype, is everywhere. And we can pick it up without trying. We don't have to sit in a classroom and have someone teach us how to lie. Our hearts are bent that way. And the truth is not something that we naturally embrace. The Bible says Jesus did that the truth would set us free, but we are enslaved by bondage to prevarication, inflated words, and falsehoods. And when cornered, we lie. When placed under pressure, 
We try to find a way out of it. through. Our, well, that's not exactly what happened. The truth means that we make and we keep promises. We keep a, a wonderful future. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Making promises is one of the most godly things that we do. For God does love to make promises to his people. He said, I never leave you or forsake you. He said, I will always be there for you. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And if you look through the, the, one of the great studies of the Bible is to see God making and keeping his promises. None of them ever broken. We read to the end of the book of Revelation and we find that he is still making and keeping his promises. He loves to do that. He loves to say, I will create a future with you. I will, I will be there. I will go there with you. And I want you to come with me. Let's go to the future where I can keep my promises and when you get to the future, you can see who I am. One of the great ways he wants to reveal himself is in the making and keeping of promises. The scriptures are full of it. We've learned of it since we were children. He delights in it. And he he delights in our making and keeping our promises too. Surely one of the most beautiful things in life. We think of symphonies, we think of art, we think of beautiful creation. But one of the most beautiful things that I have ever encountered is a kept promise. Someone who said they would be there and is. Someone who promised to do something and did it. It's beautiful. And we're so used to the other kind that we... The other day I went to the fast food restaurant, brought home a sack of food. I know I shouldn't do that, but I did. And when I got home, the order was mishandled. And my family said, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you check it? (laughs) Right? Why didn't you open the bag and look and see if what we ordered was in there? What kind of, in other words, what kind of world do you live in? (laughs) Of course it was misfilled. Recently we got a new dishwasher. After a week it didn't work. I couldn't get any sympathy. Everybody I talked to said, well, mine didn't either. I had to get another one or a third one. That's the world we live in. Broken promises everywhere. That's what we're used to. Misfilled orders and deficient material is everywhere. But when you get what you pay for, when the promise is kept, when somebody says, I'll be there at 8, and they're there when you get there, there's something very marvelous about that. And the truth rings and shines. And there's no phoniness. To be faithful in this way, to be faithful to the truth, is, means that you're the same 
every day. Branch Rickey, general manager of the Cardinals years ago, used to talk about San Musial. And they said, he talked about his fine qualities as a human being, and this is how he described it. He said, with Stan, every day is Sunday. He's the same all the time. And there was something beautiful about that and endearing to the fans, apart from his batting average. They enjoyed a player who enjoyed life and kept his word. And so does the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely as he looks down from heaven and he sees us make our promises and he sees us struggle to pay our bills and keep our promises, surely there is some measure of delight in his heart to say, they did it. They kept their word. They were faithful. They stuck to the truth. They didn't try to change it. So this means the end of opportunism. This means I do what I do because it's right. Why do I lie? Why do you lie? Well, it's because we're afraid of the consequences of what will be. And we fear. And we're prideful. We don't want to be shamed by the fact that we didn't or couldn't do it. So we make excuses. And we look for an opportunity to cast blame. Instead, we should cling to the truth. It's a wonderful friend. We live in a time when everyone tells us the truth is relative, but if all truth is relative, then honesty is impossible. And what we're talking about this morning is impossible if all truth is relative. If it's just my truth and your truth, and maybe they meet and maybe they don't, then we ain't no one can keep their word. It means we have to be willing also to confront or challenge on the basis of truth. Not because you irritate me, but because you didn't do what you said. You need to be and to do and to say what you promise. So clear enough, we fail here. We need help, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we also fail on the side of love. When we speak the truth, when we get around to it, we often do so in an abusive way. We are instead to refuse to speak the truth in an abusive and angry and harsh way. Instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. There, it's brought together in one verse. Clinging to the truth, holding forth the truth, setting forth the truth, living by the truth, but doing so in the shadow and in the connection of love, 1 Corinthians 13. Which means to refuse to speak the truth in an abusive, angry, and harsh way. Many who are valiant for truth are not, really. They're valiant for themselves. They're trying to grab power. They want something from you. I was reminded of this a few weeks ago when I spoke to a young mother in my neighborhood new visitor had lots of young children. She just moved into the neighborhood, and she found out I was a pastor, and she said, oh, I'm Catholic. And I said, okay, good. And she said, I said, do you go to church here at Holy Family, which is the local church? No, I don't go there. She said, I, I, uh, my, my husband doesn't go to church, and uh, I believe my kids need the truth. So I went around to every church in town until I found the biggest crucifix I could find. I wanted to scare my children. I wanted them to know there is a God and he's liable to smash them 
So I go to St. John Newman in West Annapolis. She was serious. I went to the church, every church in town, then I went to the one with the biggest crucifix because I want my kids to be... And then she uttered a profanity. And so we do, sometimes with the truth, want to smash. Because we're afraid of what might happen as a result, we want to smash people. Parents do it. Grandparents do it. Those in authority do it often. And it's crushing. It's completely lacking in regard for the dignity of the human being. And it's cruel. Jesus, who was truth himself, the way, truth, and life, never did that. He cleansed the temple. He spoke sharply to the Pharisees. But he never crushed them with the truth. So we overcorrect. We either waffle and reshape the truth and make a new reality out of it, or we do it in such a way as to hurt and to harm. In other words, we're sinners, and we don't get this right. So we have to look at Jesus for some help here. I was looking at John 18 this week and reminded again that before Annas, the moralist, the the Pharisee, so to speak, the high priest, Jesus says, in effect, I testify to the truth. And this makes Annas furious. Who are you to tell me what the truth is? And before Pilate, of course, we know, not a moralist, but a relativist who said, what is truth? Jesus said, I testify to the truth. Annas had him beaten, and so did Pilate. Not just for that reason, but among the reasons for which Jesus was scourged was because he dared to speak to them about the truth and to say, I know what it is and you don't. That's what he was saying. I am the truth and you aren't. But our Lord is the same in both situations. We find no phoniness in him, and pressure doesn't wilt him. Outside in the garden, in the darkness and in the shadows, Jesus' greatest follower, Peter, wilts from the gaze of a woman who might recognize his accent. Jesus stands before the high priest of the day and the local Roman governor, and he doesn't wilt. He stands for the truth. And without abusing them, he shows them that he's right. Both rulers hate him for this. But he's using the truth at this moment, as I say here, to serve us. Others use the truth to get power over us. His integrity took him to the cross. He's not going to wilt and waffle because he has a plan and he's following it out. He might have quit right there and he thought about it. That's what Gethsemane is all about. But he had made a promise to his Father, to the Spirit. He had made a promise... And out of love and truth, he showed the integrity to complete his promise. See, we don't just have a 
stoical, gutting it out of Jesus there before Pilate and Anna saying, I'm going to do this no matter what. He's impacted by what he sees. He's tender in the upper room. He's kind even to those who come after him to arrest him. And from the cross he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Did Jesus go to Calvary to uphold the truth, to show God's law and its power that could not be broken? Or did he go for love so that we could be pardoned? The answer, both. We find it difficult to bring truth and love together, but he can do it. And fruitfulness comes from putting them both together. Now to page 12. I wrote that carefully here. I want you to see that the minute he died, the moment he said, into thy hands I commit my spirit, it is finished, the truth of God was ultimately satisfied because he fulfilled all of the requirements of the law of God And the minute he died, the love of God was also infinitely satisfied because now he can embrace us and pardon us, forgive and receive us in spite of our sins. Love and truth together at Calvary. He doesn't just say, I can forgive you because I'm a kind-hearted, old, white-bearded deity. He says, I cannot forgive you until satisfaction has been made for the abrogation of the law. And so when Jesus says it is finished, it means it is paid in full. I gave all to pay for the sins of all that he might have, that they might have life. But it is also love. Because now... His desire is to embrace and pardon and receive and forgive. So from the throne of grace today, we don't hear, I told you so, look what you made me do. We hear, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We don't hear from him, Get thee away from me and and cast us out into the outer darkness, which is what we deserve. Instead we hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into thy reward. Love and truth brought together. Put another way in the longer paragraph. If God forgave us by becoming indifferent to sin, That is, if he was all love and softness and forgiveness, then that would hardly be loving to the victims of sin, which is us, for it would give us no assurance of the future. And it would make God deeply compromised within his character, for he cannot lie. He is the truth. And for him to say, well, it's not the truth, but it's okay, is impossible for him. He cannot do it. He is God himself. He should, he must, and he will judge us. The truth will stand for all eternity. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law will be changed. It will not pass away. 
even though heaven and earth will pass away. So he should, he must, and he will judge us. And we know what that means. That means failure and punishment on our part. He cannot say, oh, you didn't lie in the fifth grade, or you didn't lie last Thursday, or you didn't cheat on this exam or on this tax statement. He can't say that to us because it's true, and he cannot lie. And he must judge that sin, for it is an affront to his character and his righteousness. So he should, he must, and he will judge us. We've got to feel the weight of this. There's no appreciation for forgiveness if we don't understand that we don't deserve it and that we have no hope without it. If we see how miserable we are in our sin, then we will begin to appreciate what he's done for us. For, as I say, God does not set his justice aside. He turns it on to himself. The cross does not represent a compromise between God's wrath and God's love. It does not satisfy each one halfway. No. Rather, it satisfies each fully and in the same way and in the same action. For on the cross, the wrath and the love of God were both vindicated, they were, for both were demonstrated and both were expressed perfectly. The cross is a demonstration both of God's justice and of his justifying love. Here we see faithfulness most beautifully displayed. He didn't just keep his promises in some abstract and circumstantial way. He kept his promises by bringing truth and love together on the cross and manifesting magnificent faithfulness to us by turning on himself our sins and by giving to us his righteousness, the so-called double imputation. He gets our sins, we get his righteousness. Marvelous. Marvelous. This is real faithfulness. This is real accomplishment. For he didn't do it by smashing us and by condemning us and by pushing us away. He did it by embracing us and bringing us to himself. And he put truth and love together. And he calls us as his children to speak the truth then in love. To bring faithfulness to bear in truth and love being brought together. So that we will stand strong for the truth in the most gentle and helpful way possible. So application now. To bring these two together keeps us from the fear that makes a person who compromises her integrity because he loved you so much he died for you. And it keeps us also from the pride that motivates us who might abuse the truth because we are so sinful he had to die for us. Only say what will give place. That we, only say what will give grace to those who listen. This is what it means in verse twenty-nine when he says so clearly, 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Unwholesome talk, we think in terms of profanity. We think in terms of inappropriate speech. But what he's saying is, don't let any unwholesome talk, don't let any fabrications, lies, embellishments, prevarications, hype come out of your mouth. That would be unwholesome. And that would not build people up because it's not true. At the same time, do not... Let any unloving words come out of your mouth. You may be filled with righteous indignation, and you may be right, and they may have made a mess of things, but it would be unwholesome speech to crush them. You can get your point across. Jesus did all the time without crushing people, without abusing them with with the tongue. That would be unwholesome speech. And it would not be what was helpful for building others up according to their needs. How do you do this? You try. You try. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm going for the truth here. I'm going for the truth here. But I'm going for love here. I'm going for both of them. And I'm not going to let go of either one of them. They're like reins on a... I guess I'm, I never drove a stagecoach, but if you did, you got to have both of them. They're like two balancing things, two handles on a handlebar of a bicycle, motorcycle. I'm going for love here, but I'm also going for truth here. Therefore, no unwholesome talk will come out of my mouth. I will, I will seek by God's grace and by His Spirit to find a way to say what is right and what is kind at the same time. We know it can be done because Jesus did it. The problem is we struggle. But we'll never make it if we don't try. If we just say, oh, that's me, I'm sort of a tough love guy, and emphasis is on tough. And so we understand that our calling to faithfulness includes both. And as we come now to the table, we see it. We're reminded of it. It calls to mind the pictures of Galilee and of Jerusalem and Judea and our Lord Jesus Christ there upon the cross, standing for righteousness and the upholding of God's standards and not giving an inch, but doing so with tenderness even for those who hurled insults at him and even for those who hated him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. May the Lord enable us to bring this kind of faithfulness into our lives. Not just faithfulness to the Scriptures, but to them in love. And not just faithfulness to forgiveness and mercy, but also to hold and to the truth and to say, what's right is right. Only Jesus could do that. But His Spirit lives within us. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So our hope is in Him. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to the table now, we are so grateful for what You've done in bringing together 
truth, and love, and in accomplishing our redemption. So now this day, draw us near to yourself. For in our daily lives, in our marriages, we need healing. In our families, we need healing. The truth has been watered down. In our relationships at work, in the wider community, we need healing because we have not shown love as we should. Use us, we pray, and bring this marvelous fruit of the Spirit to pass in our lives, the faithfulness that comes from knowing you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.